Well, today we begin a short five-part sermon series on the Holy Spirit titled, Knowing the Holy Spirit. You know, we direct much of our attention as Christians to God the Father and God the Son, and rightly so. But what of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? You know, just as the Father and the Son have names and titles that uh, describe them, so too the Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Judgment, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Adoption, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Understanding, just to name a few. Today we're going to focus on one title that encompasses them all. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the Apostle Paul calls um, the Holy Spirit, he calls him the Spirit of Glory. It is the primary work of the Spirit of God to manifest, to display the glory of God. God is up to something spectacularly good on earth, and the person of the Trinity who is accomplishing this great work of glory is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to read verses uh, 10 through 14 of 1 Peter 4, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time picking apart the passage like we normally do. This is a topical sermon series. So we're going to use this passage as a jumping off point. Now, and the reason why I selected it is, one, uh, the recipients are in a similar position as you and I. They were Christians trying to honor Christ in a world that persecutes Christ and Christians. And two, this, this passage displays the Trinity before us. Three, it shows us that God is working his glory, and not just in creation, but in us. And fourth, the person of the Trinity that powerfully works to bring God's glory into our lives is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory. So, 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 14. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious, beyond glorious to our imaginations. You are far glorious than we can ever begin to think with our small human brains. But we do ask that you would show us more of your glory. We, we want to behold you in your splendor, to see your grace, your mercy, and your love. And we ask that you would empower us by the spirit of glory to this very end, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I can't put my finger on it, 
Have you ever said those words? The idiom, I can't put my finger on it, came to use in the late 1800s. The expression calls up the image of looking through a document and literally placing one's finger on the words that will support one's assertion. Now, often the phrase is used in the negative, as in, I can't put my finger on it. It means that, someone, that you cannot identify the, the cause of something or remember something or understand something. For me, this phrase often comes into use when I am watching a movie, just like last night. That, and um, you're watching the movie, and, and there's some actor up there, and, and you, know, you know you've seen him somewhere before in some other movie, but you just can't put your finger on it. The best, the best that I can say is, isn't that the guy who played the one guy in that one movie? You know, what was the movie? The one with the aliens in it? Lawrence Fishburne? No. Samuel Jackson? No, I can't put my finger on it. That literally happened last night while we were watching a movie. When it comes to identifying some actor in a show, not being able to put your finger on it really isn't that big of a deal. But think about it, when it comes to the biggest issues of life that we humans must address, not being able to put your finger on it means everything. Questions like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What constitutes a life well lived? What is this world all about? Think about those questions. Can you put a finger on the answer? Like if a friend or a coworker, perhaps your child were to ask you, what is this life all about? What would you say? Can you confidently put your finger on it? You know, I'm afraid most people who walk on this earth are unable to put their finger on the most important element that makes life truly meaningful. And this is no minor issue, think about it. Consider how wasteful of human life it is for one to live one's life without knowing what life is all about. Yet so many people do. The last thing you should ever want to do is live your life contrary to the true purpose of life. And so are you ready? What's this world all about? Why is there something instead of nothing? Why does this universe exist and why are we in it? Why is this universe so incredibly massive and yet we humans live on this tiny speck of a blue planet? What's it all about? Are you ready for the answer? It's just one word, glory, glory. This universe exists to display, to express God's glory. This universe is God's universe. It's his marvelous creations. And you and I are merely creatures made by God for God's glory. Problem is we've lost our way, right? As the Apostle Paul wrote in the first chapter of the book of Romans, he wrote, for although they knew God, this is speaking about us human beings in general, <clears throat> for although they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and listen, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. My friends, that's mankind's problem. 
God is absolutely glorious and good, but we've turned our gaze from God to ourselves. Now, if sin is ultimately to live in the creator's world as if the creator doesn't exist, then we're all guilty, right? Or as Paul writes later in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. And so here's the problem that all the world lives under. We're all born with lives that are turned in on ourselves. And, and, and instead of living for how God has made us to live, which is to reflect his good image into this world for God's glory, we live for our own glory. And sadly, we don't even think anything's wrong with that. We can't put our fingers on it, but we know we were made for some greater purpose. We know deep inside that we are glorious creatures who, who shouldn't be wasting our lives, but we can't quite put our fingers on what is wrong. Thankfully, God knows all of this, and he has not left us to grope in the dark. God is actively working to remedy our problem. And how he does this all is by the spirit of glory. What we'll see this morning is that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the glory of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit works upon us and in us to cause us to put the fingers of our lives back where they belong on the glory of God. We're going to look at this under two headings. First, the goodness of glory, and then the work of glory. First, the goodness of glory. Think about it. Why is the primary goal and work of the Holy Spirit to manifest the glory of God? Well, the short answer is, because there is no other greater good or glory than God. Try to wrap your heads around this challenging point. God's greatest delight is in his own glory. You heard that right. God, what is God most happiest about? What is at the center of God's attention? What's the deepest passion in God's life? The answer is himself. God's glory is at the center of God's attention. Everything God does is for his glory. Why did God create the universe? For God's glory. Why did God allow Adam to be tempted? For God's glory. Why did God send Moses to redeem his people out of Egypt? For God's glory. Why did God send his son to die on the cross to redeem us? For God's glory. And why is the Holy Spirit active on this earth and in God's people? For God's glory. Now, at first, when we hear this, we think, that cannot be. Is, is God full of himself? Well, the answer is no, not at all. Yes, it is repugnant when we human beings boast of our greatness and brag and live for our own glory, but not so God. Why? Well, consider this argument. If God is the highest being in existence... In other words, if there's nothing in the universe that rivals his greatness and glory, then should God not delight in himself above all things? Or think of it another way. If God does not find his utmost happiness in the radiance of his own glory, then that means there must be some other greater glory other than God that is worthy of God's delight. 
And then that means that God must not be the ultimate good and glorious thing in the universe. But there is no greater glory in, the, in existence. And so God is right to seek his own glory. Does this make sense? <clears throat> Imagine going to a concert and one of the world's best performers is on stage. No, it's not Kid Rock. <clears throat> but take your pick. Maybe it's the Beatles, you know, or Michael Jackson or Pavarotti. And you're there at the concert facing the stage and, and, and you're captivated by the performance. But then you notice somebody in the crowd who's facing away from the stage and they're, and they're, they're listening on, on headphones. And you come up and, and you ask him, you say, what are you listening to? And he replies, Weird Al Yankovic's greatest hits. And you reply, Mr. The best performer who's ever lived is right before you on stage in the flesh. And you're focusing your attention on song parodies like Another One Rides the Bus or I Love Rocky Road. Really? Is that the music you delight in over this? How messed up is that? And you'd be right, how messed up it is to have greatness before you, and yet you are focused on some lesser interest. Well, consider this. If God is the greatest glory in the entire universe, and he is, and if he were not to be captivated by his own glory, then he would be like that guy listening to Weird Al instead of glorying in Pavarotti. And so the chief end or focus of God is the manifestation of his own glory. It's amazing, right? Which leads now to our chief end. What then is our chief end? What is, what is to be our, our ultimate goal for which true meaning and, and, and happiness in life is to be found? Well, doesn't it then make sense that our lives would also be captivated by the glory of God, too, if he's the highest and greatest good? Otherwise, we would be the ones at the Beatles concert listening to Weird Al. And so think about it. When God says, listen, when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, listen, he's not trying to hinder us. He's trying to help us to delight in the ultimate good in our universe. And he does this for our own good. And so the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the highest aim of our lives to be about? The Shorter Catechism answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This, this is what life's all about. John Piper points out that enjoying God and glorifying him go hand in hand. Think about it. The more you enjoy God and delight in him, the more your life will glorify him by the way in which you live and by how you think, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? So God created us for his glory. The glory of God is what we need to put our fingers upon. All meaning and purpose and happiness hinges upon it. Life is wasted when we do not live with our fingers upon the glory of God. Paul wrote to that church in Corinth, which definitely had some issues in that church, right? But here's what he said. 
He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. As John Piper puts it, the the deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. Do you see that for you? Do you embrace that truth? Now, the sad reality of the human condition is that we all, because of our sin nature, live for our own glory. Again, Piper illuminates our condition by writing, every sin flows from the failure to treasure the glory of God above all things. I'm going to repeat that. Every sin flows from the failure to treasure the glory of God above all things. This is just as true for the Christian as it is for the non-Christian. And so what we'll see in the coming weeks is that God graciously helps us to reorient our lives for his glory and for our own good. And my friends, this important work is the work of the spirit of glory. The Holy Spirit works to magnify God's glory to us and powerfully enables us to return to the life that we were made to enjoy, a life that loves God and delights to glorify him. The spirit of glory was sent by the Father and the Son to work upon us and in us to cause us to put the finger of our lives back upon the glory of God. And this is a work of grace towards us. So let me ask you, has the grace and glory of God captivated your soul? Have you given up the charade of making a name for yourself apart from God? As imperfect as you are, do you yet long for Christ to be glorified in your earthly body? If so, it's because the spirit of glory is at work in you. That's the goodness of glory. Now now for the work of glory. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest and magnify the glory of the Father and the Son in the lives of God's people. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit's job to cause us to delight in the glory of the Father and the Son. Now, understand this. We must get this right. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. Let me repeat that. The role, the work of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. The spirit of glory's work is to shine a light upon Christ and his glory. Jesus said so the night before he was crucified in that upper room. Jesus told his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, right? And and he would be with them and in them. And then here's what he said. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Listen, you will misunderstand the Holy Spirit if you do not get this right. The Holy Spirit does not glorify himself. He glorifies the Father. He glorifies the Son. Yet too many Christians are on the lookout for the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Spirit was really present here today. Now, there's nothing wrong with delighting in the work of the Spirit or in asking the Spirit to be present But we begin thinking in unbiblical ways when we're constantly looking for the Holy Spirit. 
To get the spirit of glory right, you must see that, the, that he works to promote Christ, not himself. The spirit does not want you gazing at him. He wants you gazing at Christ. J.I. Packer, Packer um, has a book on the Holy Spirit. It's great. And, and he describes the Holy Spirit as a, as a floodlight. Here's what he writes. He says, I remember walking into a church one winter evening to preach on the words, he shall glorify me, which we just read. Seeing the building floodlit as I turned the corner and realizing that this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed so that you do not see them. You are not, you are not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make the building visible when otherwise it would have not been seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all of its detail into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Packer continues, or think of it this way. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing a light over our shoulder on Jesus, who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his words. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. The Spirit, we might say, is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us and Christ together and ensure we stay together. Is that helpful? As we will see in the weeks ahead, the Holy Spirit lives to bring glory to the Father through glorifying the Son. Or to put it another way, it's like the Holy Spirit comes and, and takes the headphones off of our heads so that we stop listening to Weird Al. And then the Spirit of glory turns our attention to the glorious appearance of his Son, the Son of God, in whom our lives are now full of meaning and purpose, but also joy and delight and happiness now and forevermore. Now, the spirit of glory doesn't just floodlight Jesus to us. Listen, he floods Jesus into us. The work of the spirit of glory is to make redeemed children of God become more like Jesus. See, if you admit that God and his glory really is what life is all about, then a harsh reality hits you, doesn't it? We find ourselves admitting, I'm not ready for that. In fact, I'm not so sure that I want my life to be all about God's glory. Now, the thing we come to realize, though, as Christians, as we grow, is that even the desire within us to, to want to live for God's glory is a work of God and his grace in us by the spirit of glory. And what we come to see is that God is patient with us. 
Making us to be like Jesus doesn't happen overnight, but it happens nonetheless, right? It's mysterious, but it's also real. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul says that a mystery is now understood in the New Testament era. He writes, God has revealed, listen, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Marvel at this truth until it delights your soul in mercy and love. Christ has come to dwell in you if you belong to Christ. This is the work of the spirit of glory. Christ in you, the spirit of glory, floods your life with Christ. In the presence of God, uh, in the presence of Christ, in the people of God is described as how? As the hope of glory. Now, Hope in the Bible isn't, it doesn't refer to like possibilities as in I hope to win the lottery tomorrow. No, what Paul is saying is that because Christ dwells in you by the powerful work of the spirit of glory, you are on God's trajectory of glory. And this gives you certain hope in the present that one day all that is wrong with this world and all that is wrong with you and with me will be forever fixed. And God is working in you to make you ready for that day. Christian, a day of glory is coming. And you belong to God. And therefore, you are being readied by the spirit of glory for that very day. This hope is real. And this glory to come makes you different. You now live with that hope, do you not? In other words, your finger is on it now, right? The God of glory has redeemed you for his glory, and now your story is wrapped up in God's glory. And so what we're going to see in the the weeks ahead is that this work of the spirit of glory to transform us, he works in us to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Now, to prepare us for this point, uh, for this work that we're going to look at, I want to point out a number of ways that the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus while Jesus walked on this earth so that we may long for this same work of the Spirit and also live with confidence. First, we must recognize that Jesus' entire life was lived perfectly for his Father's glory. Once again, the night in which he was betrayed, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He prayed out loud so the disciples could hear. He said, listen... Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Then he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. It's already done in his mind. And now, Father, glorify me, listen, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. (laughs) Jesus is either a madman or really is the son of God, full of glory, who's returned to heaven in glory. I think the latter is true. 
Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to earth to redeem you and me. Jesus lived the God-glorifying life that you and I should have lived. He died the God-glorifying death that you and I deserve so that we may be forgiven and redeemed and all of this to the glory of God. Now here's what we need to understand is that when the divine son left heaven and took on human flesh, his life was filled not with his own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit of glory that Jesus gives us was upon him and in him beyond measure. Let me just reference a few of these ways the spirit of glory filled the life of Christ and empowered him until he returned to glory in heaven. Luke chapter 1, we see that Jesus Christ was begotten of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. In Hebrews 9.14, we see that Jesus um, led a holy, spotless life and offered himself to God through the working of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38, we see that Jesus was anointed for service by the Holy Spirit. Luke 1, 4, we read that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in his movements on earth. In Isaiah 11 and Matthew 12, we read that Jesus was taught by the Spirit who rested upon him. The Spirit of God was the source of his wisdom in the days of his flesh. In John 3, 34, we see that the Holy Spirit abided upon him in fullness and that the words Jesus spoke were the very words of God. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus commands his disciples whom he has chosen through the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 12, 28, we read that Jesus wrought his miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, in Romans 8, 11, we read that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now listen, let this sink in. In that very same verse that I just referred to, Romans 8, 11, it tells us that the same spirit that lived and animated Jesus now lives in us. Here's what he says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit of glory that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies. How good and glorious is that? What a gift. The Spirit of God floodlights the glory of Jesus before us so that we, that we repent and we turn to the God of glory. And the Spirit of glory floods our lives with, with Christ's presence so that God's glory may be worked into us. I'm afraid I really don't have anything else to say. If this is true, and, and, and it is for all who trust in Christ, then this hope of glory is certain for us. By God's grace and his grace alone, we've been made new creatures. Creatures who now have our finger on it. The glory of God. Not that we won't stray from time to time, 
But we know how foolish we are when we do, right? Yes, we lament how poorly we reflect God's glory and live for him, but also we truly hunger and thirst for the glory of God to have its way in us. The spirit of glory works upon us and in us to cause us to put the fingers of our lives back upon the glory of God. And life cannot get any better than that. Let's pray. Father, oh, how foolish we creatures are. Yes, we are glorious. Why? Because we've been made in your image. And yet we're so foolish to take that image you've given us that we should treasure for your glory and we live it for our own glory. We thank you that, that you don't hold this against us. Instead, you sent your son to live a life of glory and to, to rise from the dead that we might, we might be new. Help us to recognize this more and more. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this work in us. Thank you that you flood light to us, Jesus, and you flood him into our very souls. We are now new creatures. We give you glory and honor and praise. Amen.